You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio Show on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, today is Monday the 13th of February 2023 and thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio, we're a show about bicycles, cycling, micromobility, uh, getting around without um, a combustion engine. Uh, planning, all sorts of things. And on today's show, I'm going to be chatting to Rob Leckie, who uh, wrote an article in Crikey uh, last week, and uh, it was uh, about how cyclist deaths are actually a health issue and uh, drawing in issues that many people have been discussing around um, tragic events that led to Angus Collins' death about a fortnight ago on uh, Footscray Road. Now, other uh, things, if I've got enough time, I'm going to have a chat about some news and events. Now, you might remember if you've been listening to the show for a long time, because we've been broadcasting since about 2008. If you remember 2015, I spoke to a couple of people in Sydney about... Well, things about removing bike lanes and the College uh, College Street Cycleway. I think it was part of the, the, the then uh, light rail project, which was kind of quite elongated with its timeline. But anyway, and all the things around people like Duncan Gay and some recalcitrant uh, sort of behaviour and attitudes. But anyway, positive note is that... Uh, it is being reopened and should be reopened. This is the College Street Cycleway, early 2023. So uh, if you go back and have a look at our podcast, you can see that uh, we discuss that. And uh, sometimes good things happen, even if they do take a fair bit of time. Okay, uh, a uh, little bit of late breaking news that is part of the National Sustainable uh, thing festival that city of Yarra or Yarra libraries have a bicycle maintenance white workshop on today and that's February the 13th and do you want to maintain your bike yourself uh, this is on eventbrite.com.au ticket sales end pretty soon because it's the Savo at 3.30 to 5.30 this afternoon and that's going to be at Collingwood Library 11 State and Street in Abbotsford so Pardon the wrong expression, but get your skates on, <laughs> get your scooter on, get your bike on, and get online and reserve a spot. Uh, and it's free. And yeah, uh, avoid pricey trips to the repair shop and learn how to inspect and maintain your bike in tip top uh, condition with Kaz Clark from Bike It Better Cycle Coaching. Join us for this special demonstration 
on the Collingwood Library Lawn, perfect for beginners. Bookings are essential. And if you have accessibility questions and requirements, please contact us at Yarra Libraries, that's all one word, at Yarra City, all one word, dot vic, dot gov, dot au, or on 1300 695 So it's about four past uh, ten on Monday morning. I would say if you really want to get onto this uh, and it's free, go to eventbrite.com.au and look that up. Also, with uh, lots of stuff happening, this weekend is seeing the 10th anniversary of the um, Bike Rave Melbourne. And that's going to be ooh, about 5, 6 p.m. kicking off uh, on Saturday down at Burong Ma. But beforehand, if you're around about, uh, if you're around in Carlton, Fitzroy, around about 11 a.m., there's going to be a swap meet uh, on the, kind of at the top of Canning Street on Park Street. And I'll put a few more details into that, uh, into the podcast description, which will come with whatever uh, podcast client you use. Or if you go straight to 3cr.org.au forward slash Yarrabug and you look at the podcast description, I'll put the deets into that. But afterwards is, again, the 10th anniversary. And of Bike Rave. And also, even if you're not on Facebook, if you're on Insta or something like that, please look this up if you want to go, because there are, I wouldn't quite call them T's and C's, but there's things like, you know, you should bear in mind that one, dress up, look like a monster, and a few things to follow of uh, some, some you know, T's and C's that uh, the right organisers um, have put together to make things better and more enjoyable if you want to turn up and also the routes out there as well so it looks like a pretty cruisy route around the CBD and uh, Docklands and I can't go past mentioning that yesterday was I believe the 18th anniversary of the Melbourne chapter of the World Naked Bike Ride and I do believe the sun god and uh, UV gods were quite kind when uh, people. There was about 80 to 100 participants exercising their freedom to ride naked or whatever attire they saw fit. And a good time was had by all. So it's great to see that the World Naked Bike Ride still kicking on in Melbourne almost 20 years. It's, uh, it's a tradition. <laughs> Okay, so after the break, I'm going to be chatting to Rob Leckie about his article, The Age, and issues therefore around, well, uh, cyclist deaths are a health issue. The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a short for my dark eyes. Complex hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. I'm dreaming of the seven moons. Oh, I see what's new. I'm Rob Lechty. I'm a writer and advocate for better active transport, better public transport, and in particular, 
better cycling facilities for Melbourne. You wrote an article, or authored an article, that appeared in Crikey for last Tuesday, and you wrote this in reaction or in comment to the the death of Angus Collins, who was killed riding his bike on Footscray Road. You make numerous really great points about car culture, how we react to these things, and how the authorities and, and processes are almost like embedded into being quite... Re- Calcitrant in some ways, but how can we move forward from that, from a victim-blaming culture? I think everyone in the bicycle community was affected by the death of this, by all counts, promising and, and pleasant young man, and his, his family, so I, I imagine, is uh, terribly traumatised by this. But it seems that uh, it seems that our reaction to this death culturally is different to other other types of unexpected death that might happen in our communities if there was a murderer out there killing killing people at this at the same rate i think we'd all be we'd all be quite horrified there'd be mass panic but because it's a because it's a transport issue uh, it's it occupies this separate category in our minds where it's just something that we that we have to put up with that we have to accept and in many cases a lot of people think that cyclists only have themselves to blame for for putting themselves in, in dangerous situations and so we, we all kind of accept this and, and carry on, which I which I think is a, a, a disturbing state of affairs. Yeah, because it gets into some very deep issues for about, you know, the use of public space and the right to access public space. You In your article, you give an example of like, of when a food delivery rider was hit outside your house. Yeah, that's right. And it, it seems that the, the priority is overwhelmingly to just clean up the street, keep the transport move, moving at all costs. Even if there's quite a horrific accident, the, the priority is to fence it off, manage the traffic and unclog the road, sweep up the glass, uh, hose off the blood as, as soon as possible and, and, and carry on. And I mean, I imagine, I imagine people who work in emergency services are just so adjusted to this that they're used to it. But if you, if you, if you take a step back, it seems, it seems horrifying how, how we're also also adjusted to, to this. It's become normalised and, you know, part of a road hierarchies, the way we plan our roads, the way that infrastructure is implemented is it's all become on either the end user, like you know, with active transport, walking and cycling, we well, why should we make any amends for these people when everything is laid on for car culture? And there's, there's processes that have occurred in other, you know, like uh, social rights and movements where things have been unpacked, people have looked at the issues and we've evolved. But when it comes to road violence, we're becoming very hardened. That's right. And there's still this fundamentally victim-blaming culture, even for small children. If you look at you know, cycle safety courses that get that get taught at schools. It's often this almost, uh, you know, mil- militaristic kind of operation, like training for a bomb drill in a war zone or something like that. Everyone's uh, got 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 all the safety gear on, the hard hats, the vests, uh, all, all all cycling in a row. And I think I think that's a huge part of the problem. All the all the all the joy is sucked out of it. It shouldn't yeah. be. Um, <laughs> It couldn't be some kind of militaristic operation for a kid to jump on a bike and bike down the road. The, our roads should be should be safe for children to do that. 
part of your article about investing in safety. You know, we have these things like, you know, safe systems. I could rule off any number of either processes or theories or things from overseas, and including even Vic Rhodes have, I think it was a vision zero approach, but they don't really enact it. it everything's about throughput and it's quite dehumanising. Yeah, that's right. It's it's about throughput at all costs and cars are 100% a priority and everybody else has to work around them. You just brilliantly just said about just reducing or removing the joy from like interaction in your own community. You're forced to, you know, either as a parent or an individual or teacher, we've got to look after the most vulnerable where everyone else just gets a free pass if you're in charge of a vehicle. It's not the... The head check, the observations, you are larger and stronger, so therefore you must look out for the more vulnerable. This has all been reversed, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not even it's not even with cycling. Just just crossing the road, most of our roads have uh, speed limits that are far too high for, for uh, narrow streets, far too few pedestrian crossings. And so even if you've got a, a, a pet or you, you have a, a newborn baby in a pram, you're, you're struggling to weave through a car traffic or truck traffic to, to get where you want to go. Once again, we've become normalised to us. Travellers Aid Australia is offering free scooter safety training sessions. They will help mobility scooter and powered wheelchair users to practice their skills and build confidence in navigating their local community and accessing public transport. These sessions are delivered by trained facilitators and volunteers and are provided across Melbourne. For more information or to register interests, visit travellersaid.org.au, call on 03-9654-2600 or email info at travellersaid.org.au. Travellers Aid Australia is a 3CR supporter. So I was thinking like in the UK they've done a change to the road hierarchy and a guest I've had on the show a couple of times, Lita Hutter, talking about mandatory 30 kilometres in suburban side streets. I think there's got to be a move to centre people at the middle of our transport systems instead of the processes. And it's a, it's a really difficult thing to discuss because, you know, as you said in your article, you know, level crossings and major road projects all centre the thing about less time in your car or whatever. And the fact is people moving more time in their cars. Everything else is an afterthought. We've got to move to centering people instead of us being some type of afterthought, as I keep repeating, what have we seen in this month alone, I think, was it four cyclist fatalities? And that's not even thinking about new misses, hospitalisations, non-hospitalisations, pedestrians, that sort of thing. And this is in Victoria alone. I think you might have seen a similar thing, and you've said it in your article about decision makers appear to be working against making roads safer. You've seen it in your area, we've seen it in Port Phillip, we've seen it in Yarra, where councillors and local members chase votes because they see that 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 reactionary element has got a disproportionate voice. Yeah, unfortunately, politically, there's this vicious circle where a lot of people, through no fault of their own, do live in very car-dependent suburbs where it's very hard to get around without a car. Those people become used to uh, being in a car and getting around by car. And then when it comes time to vote, the thing they care about is 
uh, more freeways and more traffic lanes, but not not active transport or anything else. And so that plays out in what policies uh, our leaders focus on. Uh, we don't even have in Victoria a Minister for Active Transport because it's not seen as important. It's not seen as a priority. And possibly it's not a priority for, for your average mainstream voter. So I, I don't really know how to break that cycle. It's, it's just a very difficult problem because the effects, like I said, are so self-reinforcing. In New South Wales, they've got a Liberal state government. Was it Rob Stokes? Is designated active transport minister up there, part of these other portfolios as well. I think he's retiring from politics. But even in a conservative state, they have that. Victoria, we seem to have this image of a progressive state, but on so many other things, and I can think on forestry, transport, uh, we're quite retrogressive. And there's, again, speaking to your article about car dominance, they've just played into played into this you know, for votes or acceptance from the general populace without discussing bigger externalities like, well, we've got a bit of a tr- problem when it comes to transport and yeah, when it comes to either you know emissions and or the the, just the issues we're discussing today. Unfortunately, to to achieve change in this area, it seems like it does take a a visionary leadership. In Paris, for instance, the I think the new mayor Anne Hidalgo has been responsible for leading all these changes that they've made recently. Particularly over COVID, they managed to close down entirely a lot of a lot of streets to cars and bike usage is way up active transport more generally is way up. But without that kind of visionary approach, someone who's willing to to stick their neck out a bit to to make some change and really push for these changes who who actually has some power, it's it, it's really an intractable problem. Yeah, it's, a, it's almost like to say that capital itself is the problem, as in there's a lot of inherent value in things that uh, people you know see as most important to their lives, which, okay, is a point. But this gets down to things like electric EV vehicle policies, which you speak to in your article as well, uh, pushed more. And it's, it's still looking at, you know, we're using contested space, but it's trying to put more cars into it and EVs are not really one-size-fits-all solution. We need multiple different ways of coming at our transport and travel issues. Live it up at this year's National Sustainable Living Festival, showcasing solutions to the ecological challenges of our times. Join the sustainability movement for a month of workshops, talks, demonstrations, artworks, exhibitions, films and live performances. Featuring the great local picnic at Royal Botanic Gardens for a big green day out with ABC Gardening Australia's Costa Georgiatis. Full program online, slf.org.au. The National Sustainable Living Festival is a 3CR supporter. the government is actively subsidising car use and actively discouraging bicycle use, uh, not only through the setup of our streets, but but financially. So permit parking, for instance, is effectively public land rented out uh, as private land for way, way, way below cost. What that means is that a whole lot of our streets become private land occupied by cars. And let's remember that 
cars sit at home over over ninety five percent of the time in most cases, and that land is 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 permanently permanently taken up by cars. And and because it's not charged out at market rates, the government's essentially mm. essentially subsidising that waste of public space. Streets Alive, Yarra have done a fair bit of work on that in terms of you know if things were put at a market appraisal sort of cost and in terms of what the changes could occur from that. But yeah, we've just absolutely been. Yeah, you know, I've seen the changes over you know say a couple of decades where people were actually had a bit more of an ear towards active transport a couple of decades ago, even though the uh, thinking hadn't evolved to uh, the point we have now. But today, it just seems very embedded and entrenched, like the amount of, off the top of the head, both of us could go on about parking battles in the inner suburbs, or this is an unsustainable approach regardless of what is whatever ideological viewpoint someone can hold because you know it's all it's all restricted limited space yeah i think what's most frustrating about this this whole problem is that even if you're completely selfishly motivated and you love your car and you never you want to use public transport or step on a bike or walk around the place you should still be a strong advocate of more active transport and more pedestrian space and anything that gets more cars off the road because even if you want to be one of the cars left on the road it's going to be in less traffic for you to contend with so it's actually it's actually even uh, car drivers that are, are losing out from this we actually all lose there doesn't seem to be there doesn't seem to be any winners at all even business owners who oppose uh, cycle lanes outside their premises usually they're actively working against their own interests uh, studies have shown that business owners routinely overestimate how many of their customers uh, arrive by by parking out the front and going in. Most of them uh, park off street or bike or walk, and business owners don't really have a, a, a good idea of this. Uh, some people have speculated that this is possibly because if a uh, if a customer who arrives by car struggles to struggles to find a park, they'll, they'll moan about it, whereas the um, the pedestrian uh, won't uh, won't make such complaints. There's a bit of an education problem there in terms of uh, convincing um, retailers and, and business owners that uh, more active transport is actually uh, in their in their financial interest apart apart from anything else. Yeah, so like yeah, the public debate and even the feedback is kind of getting distorted by that sort of yeah. We're we're trying to attune to negativity other than looking at it from an impartial or nuanced um, viewpoint. And the thing that this week, I don't know if you listened into, is the uh, conversation hour on the ABC Melbourne had a call back in on, you know, are bike lanes uh, the way forward and or something to that, at that point. And, okay, you get the usual how dare they actually design things that I don't understand or I, I think I don't know anything about it, so therefore I'll put my viewpoint into planning. <laughs> a lot of it was positive, but the stuff about bike lanes was kind of like, my God, would you say that about brain surgery or aviation? <laughs> but the path forward, there was a really interesting caller who she drives an Uber and she gets, you know, as a professional driver, she gets to see stuff every day. And it's really actually worth li listening to that conversation now for her viewpoint, which was just what you said of like, you know, making the environment and the driving environment better for everybody without, you know, taking away too much of what she said. But it was just fascinating to hear that. 
as yeah. a part of your article, the path forward, you know, the solutions to these problems aren't complex, difficult or expensive. Yeah, one thing I was struck by um, the the one time I visited Amsterdam and, and biked around a little was that I thought it might be a, a difficult environment for cars, but it actually seemed like a really nice place to a really nice place to drive. There was no traffic jams. The road seemed quite empty. There'd be no queues at the traffic lights. Everything just seemed seemed to flow very nicely. Like if you were a if you just wanted a place where you where you didn't get where you didn't get stuck in traffic in a car, Amsterdam it would would be a, a great place to move. So we have uh, we really have nothing to lose but our chains on this one. Join us for the upcoming public forum, Sovereignty, Treaty and First Nations Justice, hosted by Green Left on Monday, February 20th at 6.30pm at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. With the upcoming referendum on Voice to Parliament, discussion about the best ways to fight for Treaty, Sovereignty and First Nations Justice have been growing. The massive Invasion Day protests of tens of thousands of people across the country is another sign of the growing movement for First Nations justice. And I saw it on the television. Hear from two long-standing First Nations activists, Uncle Gary Murray and Lydia Forbe, about their views on how to advance treaty, sovereignty and justice for First Nations people and their views on the current discussion about voice to parliament. 6.30pm Monday, February 20th at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. Green Left is a free CR supporter. Also, what that people say, like you know, the sizes of our main capital cities and or our regional cities, like going back to the conversation out on the ABC, you had people calling in from regional Victoria who were doing really great positive things. But and also with Melbourne, it's not just one city; it's a collection of areas where treatments can be put in. Where you know that thing of I travel X distance. Well, this is where planners and the like should look at your city hubs or suburban hubs with public transport and active transport all factored in, which is getting into the 15, 20, 25-minute city, which has existed for a very long time, if anyone's into conspiratorial stuff. It's existed since we've had villages and walled cities and where people want to live where all the services are. There is no conspiratorial thing to it whatsoever. If you've been watching or listening to any of that debate come up, which is, I think getting into the whole culture war sort of thing, which is something to be avoided at all costs. There's definitely some unhinged conspiracies going around at the moment on, on this one. Certainly our, our capital cities in, in Australia could very easily be be great cycling cities. Melbourne in particular, a, a lot of it is very flat and uh, and very well set up for cycling. You know, Melbourne already has this um, great uh, off-street cycle path network. Capital City Trail, for instance, is is terrific. The problem is that once you get once you get off those trails and onto the streets, it suddenly gets gets very very dangerous. It's a very uh, hot and cold kind of a situation. But if we if we made our streets safe, active transport and bikes as well, it really could be a, a, a world class city in that sense. Other cities like like Sydney, for instance, is is a bit more hilly, so a bit more of a slog on on a cycle. But e bikes, I think, are going to are going to totally change that. Getting up and down hills is is, is great on e bikes. So I think there's a lot of cities where uh, cycling uh, was probably a bit 
a bit difficult because of the terrain that will that will become magical cycling cities as well because of oh yeah yeah so in uh, closing there any kind of like um resources or examples you want like to point the listener at to have a think about uh, making our transport and travel sort of stuff a lot more enjoyable and less stressful i'd say perhaps start with my article i'd I've linked to quite a few uh, bits and pieces about the the health effects of discouraging cycling, uh, compulsory helmets, for instance, uh, how little funding is going into public and active transport, how much uh, cars and trucks are uh, subsidised by governments versus uh, versus bikes and e-bikes, which aren't subsidised at all. I, I would start with that, but also start getting involved in your if you're not already in your in in your local local community, making some noise, uh, telling t- telling councillors that they that they should be doing a lot better in this area, and contacting politicians and trying to get some change. Fortunately, without a lot of noise, uh, none of none of this will really improve. Yeah, well, I think that's what uh, antagonistic people towards these things kind of rely upon. It's making the loud noises, and the rest of us are kind of like, oh, this is fine. It it just becomes um, unbalanced. And there's something that I, many people know, and it's nothing really uh, mysterious about it or whatever, but councils love positive feedback because they get a lot of garbage and a lot of pretty weird stuff at times. But if a well-researched, positive bit of feedback to all your councillors and keep at it can get results. That they, they love to hear that, that their officers are doing the right thing or you know their council processes are doing the right thing. And local government is actually somewhere where you can have a pretty big impact. Yeah, that's right. They they rely on people not uh, not kicking up a stink and staying silent and just and just putting up with it. So if you've got time to make some noise and complain, then definitely mm. worth doing. Yeah, kind of uh, have a look at your local council and see if they have public questions time at uh, local meetings. It's uh, actually it's it can be a little bit boring. It can be a bit tedious, but like, geez, it sometimes it's worth doing it. Yeah, that's right. If, if you don't understand how how it all works in terms of the machinery, it can be a little bit a little bit hard to navigate at first. But it's all out there and it's all happening, and it's good to make some noise and get involved. Thank you to Rob Lecky for making time to have a chat about his article that appeared in Crikey discussing a whole bunch of uh, issues around our priorities for road use and how active transport, cycling and walking is uh, perceived by decision makers. Now, uh, thank you to... Um, Oh, I've said thank you to Rob. But uh, keep in mind that uh, all the events that I mentioned in the intro, I'll put those into the podcast description. And uh, 3CR, we're kept on air by subscriptions and donations from our beautiful listeners. So go to 3cr.org.au and look for the subscribe, donate and or fundraiser options. Up next is SheBop, followed by BlackBlock. And next week, Val and Faye should be back in the show.
Yarrabug would like to thank our sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Tuesday or Thursday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.